You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Respond, Following the Lord of Life. In this series from the Gospel of Matthew, we learn to be grounded in the presence, promises, and power of Jesus, finding faith to follow the Lord of Life as He makes all things new again. Hear the word of the Lord. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Peace be with you. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. All my life, I've wanted to belong to a group of people with whom I I wouldn't have to keep up appearances or worry about fitting in, but where I'd be safe and loved, even if I messed up, especially if I messed up. And I bet you want that too. But there's a, a darker side to human nature that needs other people to be impressed by us. This goes for the people that we want to be in relationship with, and even and especially those that we don't. There's something inside of us that that needs someone to fight, someone to look down on, someone that in our fondest dreams we hope will say, I admit that you are better than me, your ways are better than me, your culture is better, you are smarter, you are more successful. Jesus probably has a cure for that. But in today's story, a group of elite religious men don't seem to like him very much at all. And to be fair, it looks like he's antagonizing them at every turn. Before we just write them off as being bad guys or fools, we should get curious about this, because if we can put ourselves in their shoes, we may learn uncomfortable things about ourselves. And from there, we'll see a way forward and an answer to our longings to belong, to be safe, and to be calm and confident as we do important work that lasts for generations. This antagonism that we just read about didn't begin with the events of today's story. Everything Jesus did bugged the Pharisees. We've seen this over and over throughout this year as we've journeyed through the Gospel of Matthew, this ancient biography of Jesus written by one of his first followers, his 12 disciples, a man named Matthew who had been a a tax collector. There are so many details that are easy for us to overlook, but these details were like flashing neon lights to the Pharisees, saying Jesus is king, and they hated it. Have you ever wondered why Jesus called exactly 12 disciples? Not 11, not 13, 12. And if Jesus is Lord of all, why are all his disciples Jewish? Not one Greek, not one Samaritan. Why are all of his 12 disciples men? Well, Jesus gives a hint later in his ministry when he tells these 12 men in Matthew 19, verse 28, when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Israel was founded upon 12 tribes, each descended from one son of the patriarch Jacob. We'll put a picture of them on the screen, glorious felt characters. So there's Jacob, and there's his 12 sons. There's Levi and Gad, and there's little Naphtali, and so on and so forth. These 12, these 12 sons together formed a nation. Over the centuries, this nation wandered from God, turning their back on him and saying, we'll do it our way instead. This went poorly. So, in today's story, Israel is a conquered nation. Ten of the 12 tribes had been eliminated hundreds of years previously. The surviving two are ruled by Rome. Caesar has granted the religious leaders limited powers to exercise the laws of Judaism on their people. And now here comes Jesus, claiming to be God's son, the Messiah who would constitute a new Israel and set up a new worldwide kingdom. And he swaggers around with 12 Jewish men. An unmistakable symbol of the 12 patriarchs of Israel. Now, these 12 weren't Jesus-only disciples. Eventually, we find many women and children and Samaritans and Romans and people from all walks of life in this Jesus movement. But he starts with a callback to the 12 patriarchs. Every time a Pharisee looked at Jesus in his 12 walking metaphors, it was like they could hear Jesus say, I'm taking over. This is the reason for their hostility. Remember, they were thought of as the good guys. They were better rule followers than we are. So here they come, Matthew 12, verse 38. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus. Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Jewish by race, followers of Judaism, all men, very concerned with being right, law-abiding. Everyone was impressed by them and wanted to make a good impression on them. Verse 39, but Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Let's park there for just a second. If you're new here, maybe if you, you, a Christian brought you here, you, you're, not, uh, you're, you're new to the Christian faith. Uh, this, this guy Jonah was a prophet uh, in the Old Testament. He lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. God spoke to him and said, go to this, this big city called Nineveh and preach to them, and command them to repent so they can be spared from destruction. Jonah decided he didn't want to do that. So he hops aboard a ship that is going as far away from Nineveh as possible. Long story short, he ends up going overboard and in the belly of a giant fish for three days and three nights. Then he gets spit up on some sandy land, upon which he decides, I'll do it God's way. Let's pick back up. Verse 40, Jesus says, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. In other words, oh, I'll give you a sign. I'll rise from the dead after three days. His followers from then till now continuously return to God's sign, Christ crucified and buried for our rebelliousness and unbelief, and then raised so that we could be forgiven and adopted into God's family as sons and daughters with the promise that we will rise too. Verse 41, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, 
but you refuse to repent. In the Old Testament, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which had destroyed 10 of Israel's 12 tribes and carried the survivors away, never to return. So Nineveh is the epitome of evil. Now remember we said the 12 disciples represented the 12 patriarchs of the Jewish nation. So 10 of these guys, 10 of these disciples, are walking reminders of all that Israel had lost. IU fans, UofL fans, take what you feel about UK and ramp it up like a thousand degrees. Now, now some of you would be offended if Jesus said, John Calipari will stand in judgment against you. Now, that, that's just my little joke, but, but let's get real. If someone said, the Taliban will stand in judgment against you, I'd be hot. I bet you would too. But Jesus wasn't just using Nineveh as an example to upset them or to prove a point about inclusivity. The Ninevites repented even though they didn't experience the miracle of Jonah and the big fish. There's no evidence that Jonah ever told them about it. They didn't need the sign. They just needed Jonah's preaching. Verse 42, the queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. We don't know for sure where Sheba was. There's evidence for modern Ethiopia and for Yemen. But the historians of Jesus' day and in the early centuries of the church said it was Ethiopia, so we'll go with that. The modern nation of Ethiopia still celebrates this queen. They claim her. They say that her name was Makeda. Here is a picture of what she may have looked like. She's one of two queens in the Bible who are not connected with a king in any way. Incidentally, the other one, Candace in Acts chapter 8, is also Ethiopian. And Makeda is the only female character that's mentioned in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in the Quran, Islam's religious text. So for the second time, Jesus has not only failed to be impressed by the Pharisees, he has hailed the virtue of a people who are not the right race, who are not the right religion, who didn't pledge allegiance to the right flag. The first were violent oppressors, and the second is a foreign authority figure from Africa, who is a woman. Hey, we're okay with uh, some African lady coming here and being impressed by our culture and submitting to the wisdom of our king, but now you're turning it on us? You're saying she's better than us? We should be impressed by her example? Jesus says she recognized wisdom Now the one who is wisdom personified is here, and you don't see it. He tries to explain it another way. Verse 43. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. That last sentence is the key. That will be the experience of this evil generation. 
earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus was zapping demons left and right. Although he was expelling demons from Israel, its leaders were setting it up to be demonized again by rejecting a relationship with Jesus. The Pharisees want Jesus to go away and leave the house empty. And if he does that, guess who's coming back for lunch? Demons. Guess who's going to be lunch? Israel. Now remember, we said in the beginning that we all long to be in a relationship with someone for whom we don't have to keep up appearances, but where we can uh, remain loved and safe, even if we mess up. We don't have to worry about fitting in. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You don't need the miracles. You don't need the ancestry. You don't need to have the right skin color or be male or female. You don't need to have a certain amount of money, a certain degree of intelligence, a certain standing in your community. You don't need any of that. You've got me. I'm here. I am the one that the entire Old Testament pointed toward. And who can be in my family? Anybody. Verse 46, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Again, Jesus says something culturally offensive. To disavow family members was not only against custom, but it was against the law of Moses. Verse 49, Then he pointed to his disciples. Now, this was not just the original 12. This was the larger group that had begun to follow him around. He points to him and he says, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And what is the will of the Father in heaven? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, all year long as we've journeyed through the Gospel of Matthew, we've said, Repent is so much more than saying I'm sorry for the bad that I've done. It's turning around and coming home to God. It's following Jesus throughout this life and into the next. We don't have to be male or Jewish. And there's a whole lot more than 12 of us. If he could come down into a body like ours, live, die, rise from the dead, and then take that body, back to the Father's throne, then our bodies can join Him because His Father is now ours. We are family. The one who created the world stepped into our shoes and said, I am here. There is no one for you to impress. You are fully loved and accepted already. I want you. I'm here for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. One of our community group leaders, Dale Huff, said it like this at at, uh, men's school last week. He said, the one who created feet came and washed our feet. The more we marinate in the truth of God's love, the more our insecurities melt away till we no longer feel the need to belittle or be jealous of anyone else. We have no one to impress. Together, You and I, who have turned to God, are united in Christ in the deepest sense possible. We are in Christ. It's not just that he is this little guy inside of us giving us some good advice. The Bible does speak about Christ being in us, but more often it speaks of us 
being in him, and he is big enough for all of us. Male, female, black, white, Republican, Democrat, rich, poor, Kentuckian, Hoosier, young, old. Because of this, you have no one to impress and everyone to bless. This includes those you don't particularly want to bless. Who are the Ninevites in your life? Who is your Queen of Sheba? Who is your John Calipari? Now, some of you are saying, John Calipari is my John Calipari. (laughs) Who would you have trouble blessing your friendship with? Nothing wrong with writing a charity check, but would you rub elbows with the Ninevites in your life? One of the many reasons that Jesus is greater than Jonah is Jonah didn't want to preach repentance to the Ninevites because he knew God would forgive them. And he didn't want those people in God's family. Maybe there's someone that you'd rather see get divine judgment than mercy. That's how you feel now, and you feel it very deeply. But trust me on this. The act of consistently blessing them out of gratitude for Christ will change your heart over time and make you happy. They will be blessed, but you will be doubly blessed. The church has 2,000 years worth of case studies and examples that prove Jesus' point. Acts 20, verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Real humanity is humanity united with Christ, working from a position of gratitude, safe, secure, and enriched beyond measure with no one to impress and everyone to bless. So here's my Monday challenge for you to think about, to, 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 to put into motion tomorrow. How many people can you bless this season, the rest of the year? Get out a piece of paper and a pen or your MacBook, whatever it is that you do, write down specific people, write down specific things that you can do. Now, not only does the Spirit empower you to bless the John Calipari's in your life, but even those you love but take for granted. Jesus said, the world will know that we are Christians by the way we love one another. Can you send a card to someone in this room that you have benefited by, that you've been blessed by, that has been a good role model to you maybe? Maybe someone that you've never told this before. Maybe you have told them before, but it's been a while. And consider the ways that we can partner together this holiday season throughout Advent. As Jess said at the beginning, just look in the back of your bulletin, look on the app and the events, and there's, there's, there's all these ways. Win a coat drive right out there in the lobby. This Wednesday night, you can help prepare a meal for those who will not be able to sit down on Thanksgiving and have a meal with family. Maybe you can get involved with Affordable Christmas, and you're saying, I don't even know what that is. This is the first year we've done it. There's a table out in the lobby. Go ask somebody, what's this all about? You can either donate gifts or you can actually serve with us. We have plenty of opportunities to serve on Affordable Christmas, Saturday, December 14th. Plenty of slots open. Stop by that table. Talk to them about that. Or, uh, and, and I hope you'll all do this, join us when we go Christmas caroling on Wednesday, December 11th at 6.30. There's usually 60 or 70 of you there. What if we had 200 this year? That would be amazing. We would be able to visit so many more neighbors. This is low-hanging fruit if there ever was one. I think we've got a picture of... Uh, 
Yeah, so this is from a group from previous years. So we don't just send you out just by yourself or with your, your nuclear family. You'll be out in a big group. We stand way back on the sidewalk. You don't even have to be like right up in somebody's face singing to them. Usually there's, there's kids in each group, and the kids like to actually go and ring the doorbell. They're actually a little too vociferous about it, and we have to say, stop, stop ringing door, doorbells so many times. Come on back. And, and then we sing just one verse each of three carols. Hark the herald angels sing. Joy to the world. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We actually give you a lyric sheet, so if you forget any of the words, you just look down and you can sing. Try this any other time of year and people will think you're crazy. July, go ring someone's doorbell and when they open it, announce that Christ has come, he is Lord, and through him God has reconciled humankind to God. See what happens. But in December, we get away with it. Let's do it. We have no one to impress, and most of us wouldn't impress our neighbors by our singing. Only a few of us probably would, the ones that are on the stage on Sundays. We have no one to impress, but we have a lot of neighbors to bless. This is the one time of the year when people are open, most open, to the blessing of an old but never-ending story. Theologian and writer Edith M. Humphrey says, The good news is that God himself has visited us dramatically and decisively in the one who is God with us. Jesus, our Lord, has been baptized into the deepest elements of our world, has lived our life perfectly, has died our death righteously, has conquered death in resurrection, and has ascended to the Father, taking up human flesh in triumph and glory. He took on human flesh so he could take up human flesh. One greater than Solomon came here so that we who are like Solomon could go there. We'll explore this more fully next week as we begin Advent, that season where we remember Israel's longing for a Savior, one who had created the universe but came to us about this size nearly as helpless. Some years later, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread like this one. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took a cup of wine like this one. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me and what I've done until I come again. Take the bread into your body, knowing that the Spirit has taken you into Christ's body, along with countless others. As I've said before, we are united in Christ with each other, to the Father, by the Spirit, because of the cross. In this way, we participate together in the triune life of God. In just a moment, you'll come forward, or if you're in the back, you'll go to the the back half of the room, we'll go to the back, we'll have communion stations right in front of the sound booth. Tear off a piece of bread, dip it into wine or juice as your conscience permits. The cups with wine will have strings of twine tied around them. If you need gluten-free communion elements, you'll find them in this far corner over here, my left, your right. If you're not a Christian, don't come forward and participate in communion because it symbolizes something you haven't accepted yet. It's a covenant renewal ceremony, so if you've never... uh, Bound yourself to the covenant, wouldn't be any sense for you to do this. But instead, I urge you to pray to receive Christ. Pray with a Christian in your life. 
to receive Christ. And we can prepare you in the weeks to come to be baptized and to begin partaking of communion with us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.